can feel, especially with the kids present, the excitement in the air. Because at last, it's Christmas Eve. It's Christmas Eve and we are excited. We are anticipating. But the earth falls silent tonight. The earth falls silent for tonight. The time has come. For weeks now, we've been pacing back and forth in the waiting room of Advent in anticipation of a delivery. Our other gifts have been bought or they've arrived in the mail and they sit wrapped under the tree waiting to be opened. But there's still one gift that has yet to arrive. And this gift can't be found online. It can't be found at the mall. This gift is not one that we can purchase. It's not a gift that we're going to find wrapped with paper and string. It's not a gift that can even be hung in a stocking by the fire or placed neatly under the tree. This gift is much bigger, much greater, much more than we could have imagined. And so like Magi following a star, we've wandered into the night and found our way to this place, this hour, hoping and praying that we might receive a gift like this. As we draw near to Bethlehem, we stumble across this gift in the most unexpected of places. It's not found amidst all the lights and the tinsel. It doesn't arrive through the hospitality of some rich benefactor. We come across it in the cold, in the dark, tightly wrapped in a blanket, laid in the straw that animals feed on. This gift comes through the courage of, and faithfulness of, can you believe it, two teenagers a carpenter and a young girl who are not yet married. Our gift bearer, Mary, delivers the greatest gift the world has ever known in a dark, dank, smelly stable without so much as an emergency room, without a midwife, without even an epidural. This gift comes to us in obscurity, but as we heard, news travels fast. From the mouth of angels to the reports from shepherds watching their flocks nearby to later on the palace of a fearful king to across the globe for some astrologers from the east, the word gets out quickly. This is the one we have been waiting for. This is the gift that we were told to expect. What gift is this? It is the birth of a baby. What child is this? This child is the coming down and coming forth of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And make no mistake, this gift, this child changes everything. This gift opens up the heavens. This gift stirs up villages. This child gives pause to kings. This child leads people to leave their homes to go to a place that they do not know. This child, this gift causes fathers and mothers alike to ponder in their hearts what it all means. Thankfully, we have the Apostle John who offers us another way of understanding this story, who tries to put into perspective for us what we have just heard, what we are experiencing yet again this night. I invite you to hear from his first chapter as he enters us in a different way into the story. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. 
He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in our world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace, we have received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. Beloved, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. John tries to put into words the, this kind of gift that is seemingly beyond words, that, that cannot even be imagined, let alone described. The author of life, the creator that formed the universe and all that it contained simply by speaking, angels without number, stars without limits, galaxies uncountable, this same God came to earth, came to us in the humility of our own flesh, as close as our own skin. John is able to convey the indescribable because the infinite was willing to become finite. We have a name for this gift in the church. We call it the incarnation, a big word that literally means a clothing or state of being clothed with flesh. To incarnate means to put something in fleshly form, to give form and substance to an insubstantial quality. For example, an extraordinarily sympathetic person might be called the very incarnation of compassion. Their actions give substance to the quality. Such a person embodies what kindness looks like in the flesh, in practice. Therefore, when John says the word became flesh, his description of the gift is not to be understood as simply the things that God says. The incarnation is the almighty God taking fleshly form in Jesus. The very character of God, his love, his wisdom, his righteousness, his mercy is embodied in Christ. There was a popular song a few years back that tried to capture the mystery and frankly the controversy of this gift of the incarnation. And its words went something like this. What if God was one of us? Just a slob like one of us. Just a stranger on a bus trying to make his way home. Lots of people were offended when this song came out. Many failed to recognize how its words were attempting to express the same gift that John is speaking of, the miracle of Christmas. The miracle of Christmas that God is not distant or remote as we've come to believe or perhaps even been taught. That God is not just some ethereal idea in the celestial realms, again, that maybe we've come to believe or have been taught. But that God is personal. God becomes one of us. We don't face life alone. 
God in Christ steps out of eternity into time and submits himself to our difficulties, our temptations, our storms, our hungers, our burdens, and our pain. For 30 years, Jesus rode that bus. Jesus did all the things that we do as human beings. He lived our life. But there are layers to this gift, this gift of incarnation. We must understand that God in Christ is the gift that keeps on giving, the kind of gift that can never be exhausted, the kind of gift that will never wear out its youthfulness, the kind of gift that will never require an update, the kind of gift that will never need a new model. Everything we need, everything we will ever need is realized in this gift because, beloved, John wants us to understand in the language that he writes his first chapter that Christmas is the inauguration of a new creation. If you're familiar at all with God's word, he is going right back to the beginning, to the book of Genesis, as he tries to put into words what we are celebrating tonight. And it is nothing less than the inauguration of a new creation. Because with the first breath of the Christ child, the journey from life to death to eternal life begins to take shape a new way of living, a new kingdom. It all starts with a baby, a fragile, defenseless infant, but it all ends with a savior, a broken and crucified Messiah. Every stain, every curse, every lie, every hurt, every failure, he takes upon himself and bears the blame. Jesus lives our life to save our life, for it all ends with a death until it begins again with a resurrection, a risen and living Lord. Love enfleshed, love in action, love begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Love that is willing to be sacrificed, to take our suffering, to face our death, so that the promise of tomorrow will not be forsaken for anyone. And we need to understand tonight, oh, we say it, but we need to really meditate upon the fact that if it were not for God's love for us, there would be no such thing as Christmas as we celebrate it. There would be no reason to celebrate. There would be no reason to hope. There would be no reason to exchange gifts. There would be no reason to believe in peace on earth. If you're familiar with that song that I mentioned earlier, you might remember that another verse goes like this. If God had a face, what would it look like? And would you want to see it? If seeing meant that you would have to believe in things like heaven and in Jesus and the saints and all the prophets, believe. That's all we have to do to receive this gift. Believe. But do we believe? Do we want to believe? That's the real question for us tonight. Now, of course, you're saying, uh, we're here, aren't we? Um, we came to church. So doesn't that mean that we believe that God is our Savior? I won't speak to those of you who were brought here by force, but you know who you are. But for those of you who chose to come, who are here tonight, who would say, well, obviously we're here, so we believe that God is our Savior, I would push back to you and ask you, what does it mean to believe? What does it mean to believe that what we celebrate tonight is true? What does it mean to believe in God in the flesh? John has a word for us on this too. He writes that believing in this gift, receiving it, means becoming a child again. 
To all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the power to become children of God. There it is. You have to become a child to understand Christmas. Now, many of us would say, well, of course, that's what Christmas is all about, becoming a child. But John wants to suggest that we don't just have to become a child at Christmas time. We have to become a child all the time in order to receive the gift of Christmas. Now, for some of us, that may give us pause. For some of us, that might bring out the Grinch within us. We might become cynical and say, why is that? What kind of God would ask us to regress from the maturity of our adulthood to the innocence of our youth? What kind of nonsense is that? Why must we become children? Why? Because as grown-ups, when we grow up, we cast off too many things with the loss of our innocence. The darkness that we once feared as children as we grow up gradually overtakes us and taints our view of this world as we encounter suffering, as we experience cruelty, as we witness malice and hate. As we get older, death's shadow lingers long and swallows up our childlike wonder and imagination. Before you know it, our horizons get narrowed, our perspective becomes limited, after all, we can and we do explain away so many mysteries. We've all lived long enough to know that there's a man behind the curtain. We've all had enough years under our belt that we've learned the lesson that the emperor has no clothes. And it doesn't take long as we grow up that our open hands, the open hands with which we once embraced life, become tight, clenched fists. And soon... We don't believe in anything anymore. We don't believe. Instead, we suspect everything and everyone. Children, on the other hand, as you saw up here, find it easy to believe. For children, reindeer can fly. For children, snowmen can come to life. Children can be afraid of the dark, but the darkness does not eclipse their vision of a world filled with mystery and possibilities. For a child, storms may disrupt your life, but they can also take you to an emerald city. For children, falling into a hole isn't always a dead end. Sometimes you end up in Wonderland. For children, wardrobes are more than just a place to put your clothes or hide your secrets. Wardrobes can be a gateway to unlocking the deeper magic of a world called Narnia. Ask yourself tonight, Step back, think about it, ask yourself, how many kids do you know who are worried and stressed about Christmas? When's the last time you heard a child lament about the holiday rush? The last thing on a child's mind is that Christmas is coming too soon. If anything, the only thing that children worry about when it comes to Christmas is if they can possibly wait for it to get here. Children understand that Christmas is all about receiving it's only when we grow up that we become convinced that Christmas is all about what we have to do for others. And when we embrace and have that shift that Christmas is all about what we do, the lists of Christmas begin. And we check them twice. If we don't get those Christmas cards out on time, we are naughty and not nice. If we don't find the perfect tree or decorate the house just right, we're sure to get a lump of coal in our stocking. And if we aren't willing to max out our credit cards, Getting gifts for everyone we know, we are sure to disappoint or alienate someone. Children are very good at receiving because they aren't worrying about the stuff they've got to do for others. 
It's only as adults that we begin to think that Christmas is all about our giving. But John reminds us, and we surely need it, that there is only one giver at Christmas. And only one gift that matters. Beloved, Christmas is about believing. Believing in the gift of God wrapped up in the flesh of a babe. The grace and goodness of God unveiled through his son, Jesus. Christmas is about receiving Receiving a priceless gift, better than we could have asked for. The heart of God expressing more love and acceptance than we ever hoped might be possible. Christmas is realizing that just as the Holy Spirit conceived salvation in Mary's life, so this same God is intent on saving you. And you. And me. This is your gift. At Christmas, this is God's gift for everyone. Dare we approach this gift in the manger with a childlike faith? Not a childish mind, but childlike. Falling silent, watching awestruck, reverently trusting, open and willing to behold what we scarce can gather in. We must, for it is a gift that we receive only when we believe. And it is only when we have received God's gift that we truly have something to give to others. One of the most famous verses of Scripture states this most plainly. We love God. We love because God first loved us. Or to put it in words more befitting of our celebration here tonight, we give because God first gave to us. Now, I'm sure that most of us in this room have heard about the more recent Christmas tradition of regifting. Regifting, if you're not familiar with it, is the custom of taking a gift that was given to you and turning around and giving it to someone else. Now, typically, a person regifts something to someone else once he or she has decided that they really don't like it. Now, while I'm sure that none of us here tonight have ever indulged ourselves in regifting, we might be surprised to learn that the concept of regifting is very much at the heart of our story. The reality of God in the flesh, of Christ in the manger, this story of hope is a gift that is meant to be received in order to be given away to others. What if God was one of us? What if we could run into God on the bus, in the grocery store, at school, or in the office? Beloved, the reminder of Christmas is that we can, that this too is part of the gift. The incarnation that started with Jesus' birth and his life is the gift that keeps on giving when it continues in us. For we are the body of Christ. As God has reached down through time and space to take up residence alongside us, so we are to come alongside those around us. As God first gave light at Christmas, so we are called to bring this light that conquers the darkness to those living in the shadows as God first brought peace on earth on this holy night, so we are intended to be peacemakers in a world filled with vengeance and hate. Let us not linger so long on the one in the manger that we forget how this child grows into a man. Later, he will turn to us and he will say quite clearly that whenever we have done the least of these things for God's people, we have done so for him. We cannot believe him then if we do not believe in him now. And so I invite you tonight, I invite you 
in the name of the gift, in the name of Jesus Christ, to come and receive the eternal gift that you've been waiting all your life for. Before you in Bethlehem, later to be raised up at Calvary, is the gift of Christmas. A gift that comes with an incredible exchange policy. Your life for his. Come and see the God wrapped in human flesh, looking as naked and as exposed as we all did when we were born. But don't stop at looking. I challenge you to not just stare at the lovely paper, to look on the face of an infant, but I encourage you, God invites you to go deeper, to unwrap this gift, to know the person of Jesus Christ. Come unwrap the only gift that money can't buy that good behavior can't earn. Come and discover the kind of love that delivers this gift into our hands, the costly, sacrificial love of a father who is willing to offer up his one and only son for the world, the kind of love that forgives, the kind of love that saves. Don't bother looking for the receipt in your pocket. Don't look for the receipt because the proof of purchase for this gift isn't in our possession. Look down into the manger instead and then look up to the cross. The cross is our gift receipt. Beloved, come. Come and let us be like the shepherds. Be part of the gift that keeps on giving by sharing what we have received this night. By giving it away, all of it away, to those we meet. That's our invitation. That's what we enter into tonight. That's what God offers to us. And all that's needed is an open mind. All that's required is a receptive heart. All that's asked for is the faith of a child. All you have to do is believe. Amen? Amen.